The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with today's special host, Christine Benton. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, Elections, Can We Break Through the Deception and Meanness? What if Beth Green ran for president? Here, Christine Benton interviewed Beth about what we might all want to stand for. Elections are supposed to be a time when we come together to discuss our collective future. But is that what's happening now? In the U.S., we're going through the presidential primaries and seeing a lot of bickering, unsubstantiated claims, empty promises, and grandstanding. Some of us feel really passionate about a candidate. Some of us don't like any of them. But nobody can say that there's much real discussion going on. And many of us feel uncomfortable even with our own candidates because we don't see substantial debate or we distrust their forthrightness or wonder if they're just jockeying for votes. Imagine the Oneness Party has just nominated Beth Green for president, with Beth running on a platform of universal human values. Christine Benton returns to our show to ask Beth about her presidential campaign. Expect Beth's special humor and integrity in a discussion of the challenges of our times. Stay tuned with some special perspectives, fresh perspectives, which may help you to sort out your own. And now, here's Christine. Hello. It's great today to be able to host Interrevolutionary Radio. This is Christine Benton. And I'm hosting today because our guest is Beth Green. And as James just mentioned, I'll be interviewing Beth today. It's going to be an exciting and interesting conversation. Um, But before we get into that, I'd like to invite James to go ahead and take us through the news of the interrevolution. Very good. Thank you, Christine. Since terrorism is uppermost in many people's minds these days, we thought we'd start with some interrevolutionary stories about how people are still trying to make the fight for oneness, accountability, and mutual support, even in these dark days. There is an amazing grassroots movement of Muslims denouncing terrorism, saying that this is not in their name. This was launched by the London-based organization called the Active Change Foundation. And since 2003, this group has been organizing on the community level, trying to stop British youth from engaging in street crime, and specifically from being recruited to terrorist organizations. Funded by Hanif Qadir, this organization launched a campaign in 2014 called Hashtag Not In My Name, which allows Muslims to differentiate themselves from the radical jihadists. Recently, the campaign has exploded around the world, and in fact, in growing daily, is growing daily. Just a few days ago, the hashtag had been tweeted over 86,000 times. Well, I, I'm so happy to hear that story. I think one of the things that people say is, well, why don't we ever hear from Muslims? Why don't we ever hear from Muslims? And, well, we do hear from Muslims. It's just that we're not always listening. <laughs> so, there's, a, I mean, I, let's face it. The reality is that more Muslims are killed by terrorists than anybody else. I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, vastly more. And they have the greatest stake in ending this terrorism. So thank you for that. Very good. 
And now here's another item, another support for unity coming from the non-Muslim side as well. President Obama is refusing to stop the welcome of Syrian refugees. But there's been pushback from all sides. For example, National Public Radio reported on November the 18th that the Washington state governor says he welcomes Syrian refugees. Washington Governor Jay Inslee says he won't join the growing list of governors who say they don't want Syrian refugees within their state borders. No fewer than 31 governors have taken steps to prevent refugees from being resettled in their states. The governor of Washington has publicly welcomed refugees, citing the inscription on the Statue of Liberty, warning fellow governors against fear, and insisting that background checks minimize whatever risk the refugees may pose. Inslee is among a handful of governors from both parties who have gone out of their way to say refugees will be accepted. Utah Republican Governor Gary Herbert declared in his state, we will do all that we can to ease their suffering without compromising public safety. Of millions of Syrian refugees, fewer than 2,000 have so far been allowed into the United States. President Obama's administration currently plans to allow about 10,000 more. You know, it's it's such a humanitarian crisis, and I am going to be talking about this later in our interview, about what's going on and what we can do. But the most important thing is that we should not be succumbing to hysteria and that we should be looking at things from a, still a perspective of oneness, accountability, and mutual support, or we've lost it. How can we defend Western values when we step on them every day? <laughs> So, but there's a lot, a lot to be said about this, and I'm going to come back to it. Very good. And it's not just some politicians fighting for unity. Now listen to this story from the Houston Chronicle, dated November the 19th. Evangelicals split with GOP over refugees. Faith-based groups that provide key services to resettle refugees in the United States are pushing back against politicians who are calling to bar Syrian evacuees from coming to this country. And those groups represent Catholics, Jews, and others. This includes evangelicals, who make up a core political base of many of the Republican politicians who are wanting Syrian refugees barred from Texas and more than two dozen other states, and who are demanding that Congress cut off federal funding for the resettlement program announced by the Obama administration. In fact, some of those faith and religious groups are encouraging their supporters to contact those same politicians to tell them their position is wrong. After the Texas governor said Texas does not want to accept Syrian refugees for resettlement, faith-based and religious groups quickly criticized that decision and said they planned to continue working with federal agencies to take the refugees in Texas on humanitarian grounds. It's so important for us to hear these stories. We have a Facebook page called Beth Green and the Inner Revolution. And I hope you guys visit it from time to time. There is so much, we have so many things that we're posting. There is so much exciting stuff that's going on in our world. Bad news, but lots of good news too. And so when people, you know, when we put out things like uh, not my name and so on, there is often just a, a groundswell of people who are freaked out and who will just attack. I mean, People who put lies, lies on our Facebook page when these these Muslims are saying, this is not me, you know, as though we have not lived in peace with our Muslim neighbors in the United States for many, many years, right? <laughs> so right. anyway, so what happens is people get really scared and um, we need to hear uh, stories like this because 
uh, if you don't hear that there's other people who say, wait a minute, this is a little bit out of whack. Don't you think we should, you know, pull ourselves together and try to look at this rationally and humanely? You know, it, when you hear that there's other people like that or other people with compassion, then it really changes your feeling, you know, you may not want to go around bashing every Muslim on the planet, but if you feel alone, you might be scared to speak up. And so I love these stories, and there are so many more that we're going to share with you today. In fact, I want to share one more with you right here to interrupt your news, uh, James, because I sure. just read about it. There was a Frenchman whose wife died in Paris in the latest terrorist attack, and he has started a campaign which says, it makes me cry. I will not succumb to hate. And if this man who lost his wife can say, I will not succumb to hate, what's our problem? Really? You know, he, he doesn't want to raise his child. He's, they've got a, a little baby. You know, he doesn't want to raise his child to be that way. So please carry on, James. Okay. And there have been a lot of other fascinating stories in the past week, but we'll just offer a few tidbits on them because we focus so much on terrorism news. And here goes. The Associated Press reported on November the 12th that a Utah judge took away a foster child from a lesbian couple just because of their sexual orientation. That has since been reversed after Utah Governor Gary Herbert criticized the judge's behavior as not following the law as set forth by the Supreme Court. Also speaking of Mormons, according to Reuters, November the 15th, on November 14th, Mormons resigned in a protest against a new policy by the Mormon Church, barring children of married same-sex couples from being baptized until they are adults. The Church had also added same-sex marriage to acts considered to be a renunciation of the Mormon faith, and thus subject to Church discipline, including excommunication. About 1,000 people showed up and long lines of Mormons handed in their resignation letters. And now one more fascinating story. This one sent by listener Elizabeth Treehart and reported by EcoWatch earlier this month. Young environmentalists in Mexico have permanently suspended the development of a 69-hectare project in Cancun that would have cleared a large chunk of mangrove forest, Quartz reports. In September, 113 kid activists filed a lawsuit to halt construction of the $900 million project that would have paved over a mangrove-covered area for homes, shops, and a promenade. Quote, if we cut everything down, we're going to die, unquote. Hana, a four-year-old plaintiff, told Quartz, <laughs> trees help us breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is all in preparation for the uh, upcoming meetings in Paris uh, about climate change. And we're going to be having a lot of stories about climate change in the next couple of weeks. So thank you so much for the news, James. We have to keep our courage, keep our sense, and keep our cool. <laughs> yes. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Christine, take it All away. Right. You're done, James. Great. Thank you. Well, the first thing I want to say, Beth, is I realize that you don't have like this huge council of advisors and researchers <laughs> and fact checkers. So a lot of my questions coming toward you today, I'm really curious to see how you would approach um, some of the topics that presidential candidates talk about, but realizing you don't have like a huge body of research. Um, 
Thank you for realizing that. Yes. Not, yes. not to speak of the fact that I have a 70-year-old brain and things, uh, facts fall out. But, <laughs> and I want, I don't want to tell you, guys, as you've heard many times, I never had a good memory for facts. So, <laughs> but I know what I'm talking about if you just don't try to pin me down too much. Okay. All right. Well, the first thing I want to talk about, just because I think it's on everybody's mind, yeah. are the issues of the Syrian refugees. And there's just, as James was mentioning, a lot of debate, people wanting to block them from being able to come into the United States or delay them by several years. Um, And so I wanted to get your thoughts on this um, on this topic. Well, of course, the Syrian refugee crisis has to be seen in the context of everything that's going on in our world. And uh, the problem with so many of my opponents, (laughs) shall I say, (laughs) in uh, some of the parties, and I'm not going to name who, uh, uh, are are kind of like doing this kind of mindless knee-jerk, how am I going to get popular reaction? And I think the worst thing about presidential elections or any elections is that people grandstand an electioneer and they really don't think about what they're saying. They, they, they don't think about the impact of the things that they're talking about. They're really trying to win popularity contests. And that is very, very disturbing to me and very bad for our democracy. So, you know, how often do you actually hear candidates? And I have to say that one of the parties is way better on this than, on the, than the other one in this respect. Um, talking about the whole situation in the Middle East and what has led up to this. Now, part of this, of course, is there is this huge humanitarian crisis with millions and millions of displaced people in the Middle East that have nowhere to go. And some people say, well, why why don't the, 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 you know, the, the other Arab countries take them in? Well, I have to tell you that there are millions of refugees already in neighboring states. Now, I'm not saying Saudi Arabia is taking them in, but, you know, we have not done a whole lot to support these nations. Imagine millions of people coming into your country. You know, millions we're talking. Mm -hmm. And we're fetching because we have 2,000 Syrians here or 10,000 are being proposed. You know, I was like, whoa, you know, excuse me. That's crazy, right? It's like a suburb, yeah. It's right. So that's the first thing that I just want to point out. The second thing that I want to point out about this, of course, is that We are responsible for a lot of this, and I hate to say it, but it's true. For example, when the Soviet Union invaded uh, Afghanistan in the 2000s, don't ask me for a date, please. (laughs) That was in the 1980s. Oh, the 1980s. You see what I... No, it wasn't in the 1980s. No, 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 no. It couldn't have been in the 1980s. Um. Well, maybe it was. Well, somebody could check that out. Anyway, <laughs> okay. when, uh, you know, you can check it during the break. But anyway, when the, uh, uh, the, but my point is the same regardless of what I see. I shouldn't have even tried to give you a date. When I was, <laughs> now, I want to tell you guys, you're not going to believe this. I was a graduate student in the subject of history. <laughs> I, had a, I had a full fellowship at Cornell University, and my teachers would, would, would never ask me for a date or the name of an author. Or they say, you know the book with the red cover, you know, because I just uh, have never had a memory for, <laughs> for dates. Uh, I still don't remember the, uh, the uh, year of the American Revolution. But anyway, the point is, though, when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, the United States um, wanted, of course, to get rid of it, and 
was in dirty business and we supported the Taliban. I think everybody knows this by now that we brought together all these, quote, freedom fighters. And there's a, a lot that indicates that we brought in, quote, freedom fighters from all over the place to go into Afghanistan. They were very, very fundamentalist. Muslim, radical fundamentalist Muslims. And did we care? Not particularly. And it seemed like, you know, uh, some people will say uh, that the the United States also trained Osama bin Laden for the same purpose. That's true. But there is absolutely no question that we did this with the Taliban. And then when we left after the Soviet Union was defeated, what did we have but we had a lot of weaponry, and we had a lot of training. And you just say, and what what uh, we said is, oh, don't worry about it; they'll kill each other. Well, it didn't happen that way, did it? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then also, uh, another factor, of course, is after then we went from that to worse uh, to nine eleven, which we helped to create through our our policy in Afghanistan. Then uh, one of our uh, one of our military heroes, George uh, W. Bush, <laughs> decided to shock and awe uh, Iraq. And before you know it, we had destabilized Iraq. And what happened? ISIS. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know, it's like it's not a mystery. We have had a lot to do with this. And then there are other factors which are involved, which have to do with the U.S. response to all of this and with the international response, which is to to beat down on ordinary Muslims, it created so much anger and uh, that now, you know, we helped to create more radicalism among Western Muslims. And this, of course, has played into the hands of ISIL, which is also known as ISIS. I have a fantastic story for you. I know we're going to have to go to break soon, but I have a fantastic story for you that really puts all of this into perspective. But what I'm saying is, you know, we are not just innocent bystanders who are, you know, now somehow are getting damaged. We have had a hand in the creation of these problems. And the answers I am not saying that there should never be military action. But our knee-jerk reaction of, A, bringing together people based on fear, I mean, that's why we went into Iraq. You know, oh, yeah, let's go into Iraq and we'll we'll shock and awe them, except that our enemy wasn't in Iraq. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, so we got all these weapons of mass destruction. That did not exist. See, this is what our politicians do. This is why I am running for president, because <laughs> yes. I do not believe that we should go out and rev up the anger and the fear mm-hmm. of our people, that our job as leaders is to lead, is right. to say the unpopular thing, is to help the public to understand what they may not have the ability to understand because they don't have the information, and to try to find real solutions to real problems. Great. Well, we are going to go to a break, but I want to ask you about that, not only for the story you've promised us, but to talk a little bit about leadership versus, um, you know, uh, running or campaigning. So um, let's go to break and we'll be back to talk more. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Transform yourself and your world. Check out Beth Green's online community, theinnerrevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.theinnerrevolution.org. I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Be part of the inner revolution sweeping the planet. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green on the Voice America Variety Channel. And now, also enjoy Beth's channel, Inner Revolutionary TV, on voiceamerica.tv. See inspiring videos about our guests and the inner revolution. Hear commentaries that will help clarify our time. And watch interviews of people who will matter to you. Think outside the box. Watch Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Interrevolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Interrevolutionary Radio. Hello, and welcome back. You have Christine Benton as your host today because we have as our guest today, Beth Green, who's running for president. And she was just talking to us about um, the difference between, or starting to talk about the difference between leadership and campaigning, which is what a lot of the other presidential candidates are doing, uh, which creates a lot of fear among people and has us, you know, respond to situations and crises in ways that aren't so smart in the short or long term. So, Beth, can you talk a little bit more about that, about um, the difference between leadership and what you see happening in the political field? Yes, I'd be happy to, Christine. Well, I think that there are many things that that go on. I mean, people have two jobs when they're campaigning. One is to get elected, and the other is to get the money in order to get elected. <laughs> and unfortunately, those uh, don't work very well in terms of really promoting the higher good, because what we do is we pander to all kinds of negativity in order to get people to vote for us, and then we pander to special interests in order to get the money to go out there to pander to people <laughs> to vote for us. And so as a result of that, you know, you see a very corrupt political system, and um, and there is no leadership. I mean, people have to tell the truth. And I, I would like to say on the subject of telling the truth that – in order to get people to vote for us, we want to rev up our base. What is the best way to rev up our base is to polarize ourselves and distinguish ourselves from the other guy. So what does that lead to? That leads to people taking sides even when those two sides are by themselves 
an inadequate way of addressing issues. So, for example, let me go back to the issue of refugees. Now, there is a problem in many Muslim-majority countries. Uh, Problems of, for example, gender inequality. And those are not the only problems. There are nations that have um, autocratic dictatorships, such as Assad, who's secular, or the Saudi royal family, which has been putting out the most uh, radically uh, disturbing Islam forever. But see, in our nation, our politics are based on whoever is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And if we can go back for a moment to Afghanistan, that's what we saw there. Oh, these Mujahideen were against the Russians, so they're, you know, they're the enemies of our enemies. And so we arm them and we train them. And we've done this over and over and over throughout the world. It's not just in Afghanistan, not just in the Middle East. But with that kind of policy, what do you think? One of our biggest bodies is Saudi Arabia. And, and people you know, that are beheaded in Saudi Arabia all the time. Yeah, but we never talk about that because they are our allies. Talk about yeah. following the money, right? Yeah. So there's our allies, and we don't look at the fact that, or we don't criticize them for the fact that women can't do anything, can't drive, have no rights, uh, that they are still using the most barbaric uh, kinds of punishments in the name of Islam. And by the way, we have had some incredible people on the show. We had a woman named Ani Zonefeld who's... Um, the founder of Muslims for Progressive Values, and she's talking about what she sees in the Quran, and it is not what these Wahhabi, Saudi, um, uh, Sharia law, what they're teaching, as it is not in the Quran. I mean, there are certain things that are in the Quran, and there are a lot of things that are not in the Quran that people are claiming are Islam. And that isn't just the fault of Americans, Westerners. I mean, if these things are adopted by nations and saying, oh, this is Sharia law, then of course everybody's going to buy that. But there again, we make alliances based on interest instead of on values. Mm -hmm. And what ultimately happens is that there are no answers. We We will create a dictator and prop him up. I mean, Saddam Hussein, wasn't he our friend? Didn't we love Saddam Hussein before we decided to get rid of him? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not, it's everywhere. You know, we um, helped to overthrow a, a democratic government in Iran and put a dictator in, who then got overthrown by this radical Islamic uh, state. So you see the kind of political deals we make outside are really not all that different from what we do inside our own nation. Mm-hmm. We polarize we look, we make alliances based on self-interest, and the whole system becomes ugly and corrupt, and we don't really get to deal with real issues. Yeah, and we like to see ourselves as the good guys, right? But you could see how others in other nations would not trust us. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. They don't trust us, and with good reason, and there's a lot of people that we've had alliances with that we shouldn't trust either. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... We were uh, in cahoots with uh, the Pakistani government, which was extremely corrupt and, uh, you know, and was uh, um, 
created all kinds of problems uh, internally for their own people. But hey, they were our friends. So or we thought they were our friends. And then this one is our friend. Oh, no, they're not our friend anymore. That one is our friend. So now let's go back to the issue of polarization, which I was talking about. The, the problem with the system is that we don't want to say, let's get together and look at the problems because we don't want anyone to think that our opponent has anything valuable to say. Yeah. See, we're in a win-lose thing. I have to win, and therefore you have to be stupid or wrong. And so the them-us mentality is really rife in our political system, and we don't suggest why don't we come together and try to bring together the wisdom. Now, for example, I was going back to the issue about the Middle East. So some people are freaked out that um, there are people from the Middle East who have different views of uh, gender equality than we do. Well, that's a real issue in many nations in the Middle East, and only apologists will pretend that that isn't true. I am not saying every Muslim uh, believes in the lack of gender equality, and I have something to say about gender equality. We're not doing so great here either. (laughs) Yeah, I want to hear about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating that Slovenia and Rwanda are doing better than we are, not to speak of Iceland and Norway and a lot of other places. But uh, we're going down in gender equality and others are going up. But we're not willing to then say, oh, let's talk about what the problems are that are and why we have them. I mean, Ani Zonefeld, our, uh, you know, the founder of the Muslims for Progressive Values, she will not hesitate for a moment to blame Islamists for a lot of the attitudes that Westerners have towards Islam. But she distinguishes between the country, the, the, uh, social, the cultures, the social systems that are based on class, caste, hierarchy, and all of that, and the religion itself. And that's something that people on the other side who are like Islamophobes will not get in their heads. I mean, no, no, you know, it's like it's all the problem of, you know, Muhammad. And actually, I know I'm going on a long time, but let me just say one more thing about women, gender equality. The fact of the matter is, and I studied the history of the Middle East 40 years ago, this is before all of this was going on, right? And you could see that Muhammad was unbelievably enlightened for his time. I mean, this is the dark ages. And he gave women property rights, the rights to ask for divorce. Uh, he, you know, this was an, in uh, the, the a peninsula where girls were subjected to infanticide. If you had a girl child, you killed her. And, and, and Muhammad brought respect for women and um, many rules that things, that things that you are associating with Islam, like the veil, didn't even exist in Muhammad's time. And so this is the dark ages. Just remember, my mother is 101 years old. When she was born in 1914, American women didn't have the right to vote. Mm. Women in the 19th century, I don't know when this exactly started changing, um, but, uh, you know, that women in the West did not have rights over their own money and their own property. So before we get too holier than that, we need to put things in historical perspective. But it does not mean that Islam did not become corrupted by all of those people who, you know, they, they may, it's the state, it's, the, it's, it's men who want to keep their power, it's the clerical caste. 
These are all realities. But we can't talk honestly about any of that because you because in our black and white universe where everything is polarized, you're either for the Muslims or you're against the Muslims. Well, no, I'm for universal human values. I want to see everyone's lot improved. I want to talk about the realities of what are what's going on, what we can do to help. And why are people so quick to polarize, to jump to one side or the other? I mean, it seems like, first of all, our system, as far as our campaign system, it doesn't really lend itself to having, you know, really good discussions. But I think that um, just people in general are quick to go one way or the other. You are so right. Well, I think there is two things. Well, all the things come down to what I call ego, right? It's like, I want an answer so that I can walk around looking like I know something. I have never seen, uh, you know, anything more destructive than the belief that we already know. You know, we are so full of opinions about Mm -hmm. things when we really, and what we do is then we look for information that's going to bolster our opinions and then we eliminate anything that doesn't agree with our opinions. And I don't care which side you're on, it's most people are like that. And that gives them a feeling of safety and security and of importance because I can walk around with an opinion. <laughs> I know what's going on. Yeah. Another, right? And then yeah. another thing that happens is when people are afraid, we don't think at all. We, we just stop thinking. We just look for an answer. Then we look for a strong, strong man. Donald Trump is going to solve our problems no matter how many problems he's going to create. It's just like when George W. Bush uh, shock and awed Iraq, he created more problems than anyone else probably in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But, he, but he looked, he was trying to make himself look like a strong leader. When people are in fear, we're looking for a simple answer because we're so scared and we're, we, we don't know how to nuance things. And I think that just the whole sense of them and us is developed in us you know, as children. You know, we, we, it's, you know, it can be, oh, mommy is better than daddy. And uh, without even knowing it, so many of the parents will actually polarize their children, trying to get them to vote for them as who is the better parent. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> yeah, it's very no- normal. It's very natural. See, we're all imbued with ego. And one of the beautiful things uh, that I have seen over and over in Islam, and by the way, there are many reform movements in Islam. One that started uh, quite a long time ago, the Ahmadiyya uh, Muslims, that they completely, everything that they talk about is about peace, 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 peace. But they've been doing it for a long time and they are also persecuted uh, by other Muslims. As, by the way, most of the people who are damaged by terrorists are Muslims, you know, and, and we have these poor people, you know, who are the subject to that. But anyway, these, uh, these folks, you know, they all remind us that, the, that we have been taught that the jihad, the real meaning of jihad, the most important meaning, is to conquer our own egos and the domination of our egos. And that's what Islam teaches. And they're supposed to be only in self-defense. But, you know, that there, there is violence. But, you know, uh, Muhammad had the uh, misfortune that Jesus did not have. He was a political leader of a real community, that had to deal with real problems, with they were surrounded by enemies. It's easy for us to say, oh, love thy neighbor and turn the other cheek and everything when you're not actually in charge. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's very easy for Beth Green to say, oh, give peace a chance, you know. And uh, But there's, if I were actually the president, I would have to also consider the use of force. So the realities are that um, we are all, all humanity has struggled with the ego, with the sense of self as being separate from everyone else. And organizations, companies, political parties, uh, businesses, families, races, religions, we all begin to puff ourselves up and think we're so great by distinguishing ourselves from others rather than by coming together with others to create real solutions. And I know that there are other solutions. Well, um, which brings me to the next topic, but I was just thinking about, I was reading something about the immune system. You know, its basic job is to determine who is us and who is them. Yes. And, um, it, you know, down to the cellular level, that's how we organize ourselves is us versus them. That is so profoundly true. And sometimes the immune system is confused and then we exactly. have autoimmune disease. Yes. And I, you know, I'd like to say two things about that, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an Australian Muslim, and I know we're focusing a lot on this topic now, but it is so much in people's minds. And I, maybe I'll come back another time and talk about many, many other things. But the approach is still the same. This Australian Muslim, Walid Ali, he's a commentator on TV, and he said that ISIS, which he calls ISIL, it's just another name for them, wants us to persecute Muslims in the West so that we can radicalize them and they have no choice but to go to ISIS. And that is exactly the stupid thing that we've been doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the last piece about how we are also feeding into this mess. And he said, you know, what we need is more love. And he is so right. And I have to tell you that his call for people to stop playing into ISIS 10 because ISIS would like nothing else than to have the giant jihad between the West and the Muslim world of which they think they are the leader. See, and, and we just, you know, when we are thoughtless and just go with it, that's exactly what happens. And the, on the other side, we have this group that we talked about uh, earlier in the news about not in my name. These guys started in London, and what they've been doing is they have been trying to work with the kids in their neighborhoods and keep them out of gang violence and keep them out of terrorism by helping them to deal with their problems. And he said, the the founder said, you know, of course we can solve these problems, but we have to solve the problems at their roots. Yes, That's fantastic. That's a great um, place to pause. We're going to just take a quick break here. We have Beth Green running for president in the the Oneness Party. And uh, stay tuned. We'll have more of that in just a minute. Yes, and I'll be talking about other topics as well. Yes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Transform yourself and your world. Check out Beth Green's online community, TheInnerRevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. 
Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.theinnerrevolution.org. I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're tuned in to Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Inner Revolutionary Radio. Hello, Inner Revolutionaries. This is your host for the day, Christine Benton. I'm your host because we are interviewing Beth Green, who's running for president in the Oneness Party. Beth has been talking pretty extensively about topics that are really top of mind for people, um, including um, terrorist attacks, Syrian refugee crisis, gender inequality. Um, But now we're going to bring it uh, back a little closer to home. And Beth, I wanted to ask you about your perspective on immigration reform. Like, for instance, Donald Trump suggesting that we build a wall between the United States and Mexico. Um, What are your thoughts on how to approach the situation? (laughs) Well, you know, it's like it's a perfect question. Because uh, just as we were saying that there, that the solution to uh, the recruitment of terrorists in the West is to deal with the issues of the problems that these kids are having that's creating that situation. But it's the same thing with immigration. It just so happens that Donald um, is, uh, I, I don't think he thinks through anything, honestly. And that, that really disturbs me because I don't want to attack people, but I feel like, you know, he is truly a demagogue. And um, it, the fact is that more Mexicans are leaving than entering the U.S., in a historic shift. Hmm. And this has been going on since 2009, uh, that there are more people leaving. And it isn't just because of stricter border controls. Most of them are leaving of their own free will. And you know why? Because we have a recession. We've had a recession in the U.S. And then because the economy of Mexico improved. So when you look at the situation, you say, well, why are the people leaving? Mm-hmm. What what do we deal with why they're leaving? <laughs> and, and, and you know what I mean? Is that too too common sense? You know, we had a show on, was it last week with Anastasia Maloney? Yeah. And yes. she was, whatever last week was, that was... So you're saying why they're leaving Mexico or Latin America, not why they're leaving the United States. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. So mm-hmm. that was on the 12th, and you can hear the podcast. And she was talking about the cocaine trade and the war on drugs and the amount of displacement that has happened in Central America and in Colombia because of the war on drugs and the amount of gang violence. And what has happened is that these people, you know, they're they're in fear for their lives and they start traipsing up through Mexico and they end up on our borders. Well, duh. 
we we have to deal with that. You can't just, I mean, remember all of a sudden we had this terrible situation with all these kids coming up from Central America. Well, maybe we need to deal with why Americans are drug addicted. Maybe that would help solve the problem of the Mm -hmm. war on drugs and we would stop having the war on drugs, which would end up creating all these people who are displaced and hundreds of thousands of people, you know, killed. And I mean, I, I, you know, again, we have to look at the root causes of problems. So we're seeing that that is not a big problem. The Mexican immigration issue is not the big problem he's making it into, but he's using racism in order to get people who are actually fearful of their livelihood. Now, Mm -hmm. that is a real issue that we need to deal with. But as far as deporting, what, 11 and a half million people? Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think about the cost of that. Mm -hmm. How are we going to find all these people? How are we going to transport them? What is going to happen to the communities whose economy is based on these people? What's going to happen to the industries that use the labor of these people? The cost would be astronomical. Donald Trump is not thinking, but he's appealing to the basest fears of Americans. Now, let's look at what Americans are really concerned about. They're concerned about their families, their health, their jobs, stagnant wages. You know, that's a real problem. You don't solve that problem by deporting undocumented people who need clearly a path to citizenship because they're already here. And we also need to help resolve the issues that are driving people to leave because they'd much rather stay home. I mean, you think that all those Syrians really want to come to London where people hate them? Or do you think they'd <laughs> rather stay home? Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to deal with why. Why are wages in the U.S. so flat or going down? Why is it that we have an incredible amount of talk about polarization, inequality in income in this country? Well, that brings us to the whole question of the economy. How do we approach that? You've said it's a, like a, it's a real problem, and it is, um, in terms of wages staying flat. Well, there being such a disparity, you know, um, and there seems to be resistance to fixing that problem. Well, I actually happen to think that Bernie Sanders is is right about a lot of things. I don't completely support him, uh, and I don't always think that he is showing the whole picture, right? Like everybody who else who's trying to get elected, but me, because I know I'm not going to get elected. So (laughs) I don't have to, I don't have to lie. But I think that um, to me, it's ludicrous to think that, um, that government alone can solve all the problems. And it's ludicrous to think that the government doesn't have a part in solving the problems. When uh, George W. Bush went out of office, we had astronomically high Uh, unemployment rates. And Obama did help to galvanize us to invest money. We need investments in infrastructure. We need that. We can't have bridges that are collapsing. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? We need to reinvest in, um, you know, clean energy. There are things that we can do to actually help bring better wages, but we do need to raise the minimum wage. What you need in a society in order to keep the economy going 
is people need money in their pockets. They have to, I mean, Henry Ford figured this out a long time ago, and he was not a communist. He said that, you know, you have to have, uh, people have to have enough income to go out there and buy these cars, or the car industry isn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. But what's happened is that, that with the tax breaks that started, I believe, in the Reagan era, um, where more and more oh, this idea that the free market and the trickle-down economics was going to work, that more and more tax breaks have happened for the wealthy. They get the money and they keep it and it doesn't get recirculated and so that people don't have money to buy anything with. And that's where commerce really comes from. And it's also the fact that the money is uh, corporations uh, often don't pay taxes because of corporate loopholes or because they go offshore. I mean, there needs to be those things alone would add money to our uh, ability to address some of the structural needs that only the government can address. Now, there are other things that the government and private enterprise can partner with, and there are other things that the private enterprise can um, solve better. But with a skewed system where politicians are bought by money, which has become more and more true since the Supreme Court allowed unlimited donations by very wealthy corporate, quote, people, mm -hmm. what happens is that that there isn't that kind of oversight, that these kind of allow, I mean, the Republicans are all fighting each other of who's going to cut taxes more. And, uh, and who do you think that's going to help? And there's also a story which I do not believe, which is that everybody who gets help from the government just uses it to have more children. That's nonsense. <laughs> there, there's been one story after, I mean, there's lots and lots of evidence. To the contrary, I mean, Ben Carson himself, his family had food stamps. They didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps with an empty stomach. We need... Yeah. To go into the communities, we need to create housing for, for people. We need to use our incredible resources to create opportunities. We need to feed people good food. What we've learned is that children who are raised without good food, this damages their brains and their capacities and their potential. And kids who are living in very uh, insecure environments, the stress on them, it damages their potential. Mm -hmm. We have so much unused potential in this country. Not only are women still not being properly paid for the work that we do, but there are, there's vast unemployment in minority communities. Uh, there is still a, you know, the, a huge disproportionate number of uh, blacks and minorities in prison. Uh, we still have racism that is, you know, that actually cripples people from being able to realize their potential. All of that human potential is being lost. Those people could be helping us, could be out of prison, making a living, having a circulation of money in the economy and offering their gifts to our society, their intelligence and their brilliance. Yeah, and it, but isn't that, it's part of the problem is we see people doing better than us as a threat, not as helping us. You are so right. 
you know, we are still, we're still in a world where we're thinking only of ourselves. We haven't gotten the idea of mutual support, that if we do not live in a thriving world, we really cannot thrive. You can see it in any stratified society, and that is happening more and more in our own country, that the top 1% owns an astronomical amount of, uh, of our wealth, and then everyone else is sort of scrounging. And what happens is that not only uh, does that make that top 1% greedy and uh, self-centered, but it makes all the rest of the people desperate and fight each other mm-hmm. for the scraps on the table. Yeah. I don't know too many people who really want to go out there in the field and take the jobs of the undocumented workers. Do you? No. It's hard work. I'm looking out my window right now. I can see past our stream into the field across, and I see it every day from my office. Yes. Yeah, and they're out there all day long, and this it's is, hot out. This is it. This world, we all need to get that if we are not supporting everyone, we are not supporting ourselves. The Oneness Party believes that we are one and believes in mutual support, that we support the whole and the whole supports us. And there are studies that show that people are happier and mentally healthy in nations where there's less income inequality. And then there's the story of that um, that company where the CEO decided to make everybody's salary $70,000 a year, including his own. And what happened? And there are a lot of people that are very grateful for that, although he is being sued by his brother, who I think was part of the (laughs) originators. But it it was with that idea. It's like that, you know, okay, if that's the amount that people need to to be well, right, then let's have everybody make that and not have this issue of people, you know, trying to, you know, top one another and compete viciously and, you know, create that, those fractures within the company, um, right. but have everybody working really well. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that continues. Um, but what I'm taking away from this, a couple things, themes that I'm, that I'm hearing you say is one, um, that we need to look at the underlying roots of a problem versus going after a knee jerk solution, which may feel more safe, but actually is short-sighted and creates bigger problems in the long run. Yes. And we have to retrain ourselves, secondly, to um, not see the well-being of others as a threat to ourselves, but that as our whole society becomes more well, that's beneficial to us and we'll actually be happier. And that's the only way that democracy will ever work. So I see we're we've out of time. And my God, there are so many more topics to talk about, but we're going to have to move to James telling us about what we're doing next week. By the way, next week is Thanksgiving, and so therefore we have to use an archive. Voice America doesn't have live people on Thanksgiving because they want to go home. (laughs) And uh, uh, so James will talk about what archive we're going to be playing next week. Yes. Uh, For next week, we're going to have the program, The Other Side of Afghan Women. Meet Dr. Sakina Yakubi and see courage in action. Dr. Yakubi has been honored for her courage and her vision. Uh, she set up uh, over 80 secret schools while the, after the Taliban took over in Afghanistan. Very courageous work. And she has done so much to establish homeschools, uh, health care, uh, education for women and children of, of all kinds. And uh, she has continued to uh, advocate for uh, equal rights for all people there. Uh, she has started a new radio station. This is new since the last program. Uh, and uh, 
she's she's basically uh, quite the advocate for an inner revolution in, in Afghanistan, and it would be very helpful, I think, for everybody to listen to her, listen to the profile and courage that she provides all of us. Thank you, James. And I'd like to say that there are Af- there are Muslim women who are incredible and who were also supported. What's so touching is when we have a, sh- uh, a, a TV uh, show on Voice America TV on our Interrevolutionary TV channel about Sakina, that her father supported her to become the woman that she became. And Ani Zonnefeld, our uh, founder of the... Um, Muslims for Progressive Values. Her father encouraged her. Let us not let uh, to close. Let us not demonize people. Let's try to understand people. Let's call each other to account for things that are against uh, universal human values, and that includes our own prejudice. So I want to thank you so much, Christine, for interviewing thank you. me today. And I love talking to. I hope that our audience got something from this. I, I feel very deeply about these subjects and I keep and I pray for our nation and our world that we come to a more enlightened perspective. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.